Welcome into a special Minnesota United post-game edition of 10,000 Pitches and what a first MLS's back tournament match it was. I'm joined by Jacob Schneider and Eli Hoff from E Pluribus Lunum to kind of break down the whole thing. And guys, there's a lot to go over. But first off, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. I'm full of energy. There's so many thoughts going through my head. I, I'd love to break it down with you too because it'll help me go to sleep. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. The, the adrenaline is still pumping through the veins right now after that one. Yeah. And same. I think it will be for some while. So same. Um, you guys have had quite the busy night. You did a pregame and postgame show over at the uh, E Pluribus Lunum Twitter page. So go ahead and check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, but I mean, with all of that, thank you guys again for, for taking the time to jump on and, and we'll, we'll just get right into it here. Uh, Loons come back from down a goal win two, one, both goals coming in stoppage time. First, an own goal, courtesy of Kyrie Shelton, who also had SKC's lone goal as well. That came in the 92nd minute. And then the second game winner there was a put away from Kevin Molino off of Roman Montaner cross that gave, eventually gave the Loons a 2-1 win. Guys, uh, this is obviously, you know, I wouldn't say a match that Minnesota United deserved to win per se, but when winning time, winning time came to winning time, they made the plays they needed to make and, and got three points. Well, I think if you ignore the first half from Minnesota United and you simply watch the film from the second half, you can see how much of a factor um, SKC going, to going down to 10 men was. And I think that was the turning point for Minnesota United saying, we have a chance. There was, there was a lack of inspiration and a lack of urgency among the entire, the entire team throughout the first 60, 70 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I think the introduction of uh, Aaron Schoenfeld really changed the game for Minnesota United's attack. Uh, I'm an absolute, I absolutely love Mason Toy. I think he's a fantastic striker. But Aaron Schoenfeld showed up tonight, and you know what? I'm proud to say that I was wrong in talking about him on our pregame show. I didn't think he would show up. I didn't think he'd play well. He played fantastic, and he was incredibly influential for the Loons tonight. Yeah, and I, I mean, think the- go ahead, Eli, sorry. Yeah, I think the, the game as a whole is a testament to the concept that it will always in sports be better to be lucky than to be good because <laughs> Kansas City played a, a very, very solid game mm-hmm. defensively in, in attack, you know, outside of, of Tamilia's error. I, they had a fantastic game, but you have Minnesota United you just basically stay, show up and, and hang around for 90 minutes and then mm-hmm. come away with two goals in the seven plus minutes of stoppage time. And that's something that's difficult i i don't think if you're peter vermees you there's much for you to really change in terms of what kansas city did i think there's a lot more for minnesota united to take away but it's minnesota united coming away with a learning opportunity and three points which is lucky to say the least i mean three points though despite not having Icapara, not having ozzy alonzo who's the hamstring strain seemed to be a little bit more serious than we thought he ended up having to sit out this one and then luis amaria uh, comes up limp in warm-ups and he can't go. So that's where you insert Mason Toy and eventually Aaron Schoenfeld, who, like you said, Jacob, makes the difference. So, yes, they get lucky. But, I mean, they also get three points despite, you know, not having three of their most influential players on the field. Well, I think you have to take, take a look at Mason Toy's injury, too. Um, we don't know what it is left or what it is yet. However, he was grabbing his uh, – what I think is his left hip, kind of the, the hip bone, tailbone, kidney area – we don't know what happened, but I can, I can say when there was a close-up from the ESPN camera as he was walking off the field, he was grimacing in pain. There looked was, to be tears on his face. Yeah. I, I haven't seen a soccer player 
um, a close-up of a soccer player in pain like that in a long time. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to hope it's not a long-term injury for either him or Luis Amaria because that leaves Minnesota United with one lone striker as of right now. I think the part of that that makes me a little more optimistic is looking at the replay. It did look to be, uh, at least from my perspective, a contact injury, not necessarily a non-contact injury. It looked to have taken a blow to either the rib cage or the or the side, you know, wherever wherever it was. So in terms of his his availability moving forward, obviously contact injuries, while they're not ideal, a little bit better than non-contact injuries in that. For sure. Um. So we kind of touched on this already, but let's let's go through the the first portion of this game. Uh, just just lazy, lackadaisical defending early on. Um, I thought the first honestly ten minutes weren't too bad. The Minnesota United had an onslaught. Uh, Jose Aja passed his first, I guess, defensive test you can call it. Uh, you know, took taking his first uh, ball to the face <laughs> and then eventually challenging it, uh, and then later on had to go through concussion protocol after taking another. Um, but then after that, after that 10 minute mark, it was just Taylor Twelman said it well on the broadcast. It was almost just like a, a practice, like a training for Sporting Kansas City with how much room they were given to operate offensively. And I think the, the philosophy early on was to kind of weather the, the Sporting Kansas City storm, whether that was for, for 70 minutes to then hope that Kansas City would kind of run themselves into the ground and then open up the attack at that point, or it, it was just the way they the way Adrian he thought that would be the easiest way to, to get a result here but the the thing I noticed early on in the first half was what Hassani Dotson's role was because when, when you look at the starting 11 you think that it's it's going to be him filling in for that Ozzy Alonso role mm-hmm. that he'll be playing as, as the true six who's going to be pressing people on the ball dropping in between the center backs as he needs to distributing the ball out of the defense, and that wasn't what Hassani Dotson was doing. He was really playing as, as an eight who was just moving around a lot. Yeah. And th- there were uncomfortable moments, too. I know I, I put one clip on Twitter of, of him marking Kinda, who, who had a very good game, and, and him on Kinda, and then, you know, the ball's being advanced on the left sideline, and, and Dotson's moving with the ball, not with the guy he's marking. Because I just – he's still a young player who's fitting into a role that he's not really the most comfortable with. I, I think it was a lot to ask of Hassani Dotson to play that number six role. And I think it would be a lot to ask him to continue in that, you know, Ozzy Alonso is going to be the best at being Ozzy Alonso. That goes without saying, but I, I think there were, there were some difficulties to who was going to fill his role within the defense and kind of that responsibility early on in that first half. And Jacob, before you jump in, just kind of playing what, what, what you off what you said, Eli, there looked to be a serious lack of, of leadership, specifically vocal leadership at the back in terms of positioning guys who may not exactly know, you know, Hassani Dotson has played a lot in the central defensive midfield. That is his spot. He's kind of the heir apparent to Ozzy Alonso in that place. But this is still, you know, he's still young. This is still first match in four months. You also have Jose Aja back there who this is his first meaningful MLS game and who knows how long. So it's, it, it just seemed like there was not much, much leadership from the established guys who were in that starting 11 to really help those younger guys, you know, perform to their full potential. And one of the things you just mentioned um, for Jose Aja, it was his first professional game since November. Mm-hmm. Since November. That's a long time for an MLS player to go without starting 90 minutes against another team. Um, for him, I think it was a meaningful performance because it proved to a lot of the MNUFC supporters and even Adrian Heath that he, he, he can fill in this role mm-hmm. during the MLS's back tournament. He didn't look out of his league, but he also didn't stand out. I think there were a few moments 
where I would have liked to see something different from him. But he, for the most part, he he played his role well. He shut out Kyrie Shelton, and he uh, he did he blocked uh, uh kind of Kandi. How do you say it, Eli? Kinda. Uh, Kinda. 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 Yeah. I, sorry, he blocked out Kinda a few times. Who, in my opinion, was the most influential player for SKC throughout the whole game. I thought Polito's touches were magical. I thought he looked fantastic on the ball, but I don't think he did a whole lot besides that really, really sublime term that led to the Kyrie Shelton goal in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this moment where I looked at it and I said, Polito was this big expensive signing and then uh, kind of fantastic display throughout the entire 60. 63 minutes he got on the field. Unfortunately, he was taken off in the second half as a result of the SKC red card. But for, from, from my perspective, he's my man of the match for SKC. I think it was an incredibly uh, bad choice from Vermes to take him off the pitch. I think he was their most dangerous player. And frankly, he was irritating a lot of the Minnesota United midfield. They couldn't keep up with him. Yeah, and, you know, AHA did have his moments. And he did kind of look like you said. He didn't look out of his league. He didn't look like he didn't belong. Um, I just hope in the future he can be a little bit more – he can use his size to be a little bit more of a factor on set pieces specifically Um, because that's – I mean, he is physically your prototypical center back. He's tall. He's got the wide shoulders. He's he's athletic enough to get up. I was hoping to see a little bit more of him in terms of – you know, that was one of the things where I really thought he could bring a a huge positive to this defense is using his height to clear those set pieces from Sporting Kansas City, but we did not really see much of that tonight. But but like you said, Jacob, he still did play – you know, overall fairly well. Yeah, you know, I was I was impressed by the fact that he mer- he he fits so well with Boxel. Um mm-hmm. Boxel's always been always been kind of a first choice over Brent Coleman, over uh any other center back that wasn't Ike Parra. And the other center back that's been Boxel never really run has never really been a good pairing. Um let's be honest, Coleman and Boxel's not a good pairing. Jose Aha really looked like he fit well with Boxel tonight. There was a little lack of communication in the first half. They threw hands at each other, kind of throwing a little fuss, like, what are you doing? That was supposed to be your man. Um, but they, they figured it out real quick. And that second half, they looked like they were a pairing that played a few matches together, if not longer. And you know what? Maybe that's on Adrian Heath. Maybe that's on just them, them having chemistry in general. But I think it was a good choice from Adrian Heath to roll out with Jose Aha as his uh, – as his next choice center back due to the absence of Eichel Parr. He had options in Chase Gasper as a, as a center back. He could have put James Musa there. Um, Noah Billingsley, if he's in Orlando, he yeah. could have been there. We still don't know the status of Noah Billingsley. Um, we haven't seen much of him. We don't haven't heard much from him. We do not know if he's with the team in Orlando right now. Um, Eli, do you have a little more on that? Do you have a little more news for us on that? Yeah, well, uh, I've heard rumors that he's not in Orlando and he wasn't part of the match day squad. He was the only player who wasn't part of that match day squad. So I, I think it would be fair to say at this point that he's probably not in Orlando. Um, again, it would be worth scouring social media for Minnesota United and all the players to, to verify that. But, mm-hmm. you know, certainly him not being part of the what could have been match day 23, um, I, I think is part of that. But to you, to you guys' points about AHA, I think he, he did a fantastic job filling in tonight in the sense that he wasn't exposed. He wasn't a real big weakness in the back line. I, I think the bigger thing missing is just sort of the offensive contribution that Ike Parra was able to do. Mm-hmm. And th- again, that was sort of fine tonight because there wasn't so much of a reliance on counterattacking, but you know, be- being that aerial weapon on centerpieces, again, Aha's a big center back. He-, he should be getting in there like Ike would, but 
I, I think it was fine and I think it will be fine going forward. That said, I still stand by my take that some sort of three center back formation is really the way to go here because I, I think Chase Gasp was asked to do a little bit too much on that left wing. I'm still not for sure. Uh, you know, if he's really able to, to be compensating for, for something that's missing in the middle. But again, I think it was a solid defensive performance from Minnesota United. The only goal coming from what was a, a big goalkeeping error that yeah. really that, that shouldn't be a goal scored. And so I, I think you're generally pretty happy with the way that a back line that has never played together in those four and, and most of them haven't played together in four months. It's uh, a pretty good like, result. You just mentioned Chase Gasper. Um, it was an interesting performance from Gasper. Mm-hmm. That first half really reminded me of a young Chase Gasper, like early, early on in his rookie season, um, almost unprofessional in a sense. Yeah. He was letting Roger Espinosa get on his, get under his skin way too fast. Um, the league knows Espinosa as a quote unquote um, dirty player. I don't want to use the term. I couldn't think of another word, but he Espinosa is somebody who makes unnecessary tackles, gets his customary yellow card in a rivalry. Uh, he's somebody who, who plays, plays the ball and will use it to his advantage, whether or not it's in a good sense or a bad sense, he'll make the unnecessary tackle if it needs to. He'll draw cards. And frankly, he was picking on Chase Gasper the entire first half, and he let it get to him. He let it get to him. He got an unnecessary yellow early on, though. Probably about eight minutes in, there was a, there was a clash between Espinosa and yep. Gasper. And I saw mixed reactions from KC writers and MNUFC writers. Uh, yep. One KC writer said, send Gasper off. One MNUFC writer said, send, uh, send Espinosa off. How I see it was Espinosa came in diving unnecessarily. Gasper looked and saw it coming, braced for impact, but also leaned into him. Yep drawing the foul so if you were to give a red on that situation there was no card given at all but if the ref chose to do that it would be a red for each players the only way it would, the only way it could have been done however there was no card even needed because of the fact that neither player really uh drew a fuss about it nor was there any uh malicious intent it was just a really really harsh tackle to begin the game with and i think that set the tone for that little that little battle between the game. It was one of my favorites to watch. Mm-hmm. Espinosa won the battle by far. Yep. He is the veteran. He got under the nerves of a young Chase Gasper. And you know what? Maybe this is something Adrian Heath talks to him about this week. You can't let a veteran like that who knows how to get under the skin of, of young kids like yourself, you have, to, you have to use your head. You have to play smarter because you put your entire team at risk by getting an early yellow card, especially with having a hot head like Gasper does. Jacob, I got to give you credit because on the podcast a few weeks ago, you had mentioned Chase Gasper specifically as a guy who, who you know, uh, would come in and probably be a big aggressor in these early in his early matches. Yeah. Um, I see him, you know, four months off. Gasper is one of those guys who's almost I don't want to say like a ticking time bomb. That seems a little too intense, but you know, he, he's got <laughs> a lot of he's got a lot of that that intensity built up over that over that uh, amount of time and you know as soon as the whistle blows from the match you know uh, it, it was apparent that he was just letting it all out uh and especially in the early going and you know I, I love chase i think he's a really nice guy i've uh i've worked i've talked with him plenty of times outside of united training outside of interviews me being a kid in college him being someone who just left college there's a lot of um relatability between us um me mason toy hisani dots and chase gasper but Chase is probably the one I relate with the most. We talk a lot outside of training whenever I'm at, at training. And, you know, he's a really nice guy, super down to earth. But when he gets on the field, he's a completely different person. He mm-hmm. is an incredibly aggressive defender. And, you know, that's a learning experience from um, Greg Berhalter was at the match tonight. I'm sure he was watching um, He was watching Hassani Dodson. He was watching Tyler Miller. But he was watching Chase Gasper and Mason Toy, too. 
You know, there's a few U.S. men's national team radar players on Minnesota United, and Chase Gasper is one of them because that left back position is still up for grabs for a year to come. It's him. It's Reggie Cannon. You know, it's um, uh, you know, Serginho Just as a right back. So le- left backs or young left backs, American left backs, they're up for grabs. Chase has a real opportunity here, but that aggression, that factor, he cannot let that get to his head. Mm-hmm. And tonight he did, and he nearly put uh, cost his team. So. For future reference, you know, he's, he's really got to look at that and he's got to have a conversation with him. Yeah, uh, he, he's definitely fortunate to escape with only the one yellow. That, that, is, yeah. that is for sure. Um, speaking of Greg Berhalter being there and the U.S. men's national team invitees that were on the field, I, I, was, I tweeted this before the, uh, in the early portions of the game. There aren't too many MLS squads out there who can lose, you know, two of their most influential players and and replace them with U.S. Men's National Team U23 invitees <laughs> and Mason Toy and Hassani Dotson. I think that's that really uh, is is a microcosm of how deep this Minnesota United squad is this year. I didn't even think of it like that, Eli. Yeah, I think it's not just that; it's that there's versatility in there too, in that Hassani Dotson you could put him in any position on the field and he'll play it for you. And, and he did, you know, he, he probably covered more than half of them in, in last year <laughs> alone. So, you know, those are, those are huge options to have coming off the bench. And you look at even guys like Raheem Edwards too, right. With what he was able to, to bring to the match tonight, Aaron Schoenfeld, he obviously had a big impact and, and even, you know, aha coming in and, and being that, that third center back, Brent Coleman, we know is an established kind of a known quantity back there this is a legitimately deep team, which is going to be really important here in a tournament where you're allowed five subs, whether or not Adrian Heath uses all five. And there's, there's going to be injuries. Like we saw already, there's going to be fatigue. There's going to be need for him. I think that's a huge advantage going down, going down the line. So let's go kind of uh, big play by big play here down the list and, and talk about kind of the main, the main, uh, main talking points from this match. So we already talked about the, the collision early on between Gasper and Espinoza. Uh, 43rd minute, Kyrie Shelton scores the opening goal, gives SKC the halftime lead. Uh, I don't want to harp too much on Tyler Miller here because I thought for the most part he played an excellent game, especially considering how uh, suspect the defense was early on and letting SKC have chance after chance after chance. But, but in, this, in this case, it, it was just um, – an egregious error by Miller. I mean, it's goalkeeping 101 to cover the near post, especially when there are four Minnesota United defenders back who are already cutting off the passing lane. I mean, there's just no reason for him to overcommit like that. As a former junior varsity goalkeeper in high school, let me tell you, um, <laughs> no, uh, let me tell you, it was frustrating to see that because um, played goalie all throughout my childhood. Um, was never was never a phenomenal lineup, but I liked it a lot. It was, I'm five foot eight. Eventually get to high school, you're like, oh, Five foot eight isn't good enough to be a goalie unless you're Nick Romando. So, um, but seeing that error, I it's baffling because the only goalkeeper I've ever seen Europe, MLS, Liga Emekis, whatever you whatever league you follow or, or nation you follow, I've never seen a goalkeeper besides Nick Romando able to pull off the kind of move that Tyler Miller attempted. Um, after watching a few replays, it wasn't necessarily an, a, like a full on error for Miller. Rather, he was trying to be tricky. He was trying to step like make it like juke uh Kyrie Shelton yeah and instead, he, he he uh he lost his footing in a sense and he overstepped and he realized that he tried to dive right away you can look right on his face any goalkeeper will tell you he was trying to uh try, trying to do this double step where you force the shot like you just said and he he made the error so simply put 
Tyler Miller, you can't be doing that at a professional level, especially with a brand new club and a manager who doesn't, who probably doesn't have, who doesn't trust you fully yet. So Gregory Ranjitsing is the backup goalkeeper. And then Fred Emmings was on the bench tonight too. So there's two other goalkeepers that want that spot. You can't be making mistakes like that. I, I have a, a couple different takes there actually from, from Jacob there. One, you know, when, when I watched the replay here, I'm not entirely sure that Miller was trying for really a juke move when he cut sure. away from the near post there because there, there's another sporting Kansas City player breaking down the middle of the field. I think it's Gerso. I could be wrong, who is in prime crossing position. And it looks like Miller makes his first move as if he's anticipating Shelton to cross the ball there, which I think is honestly the the better move the way this play is set up because trying to fit a ball between the keeper and the near post is extremely hard to do on the run, right? That's not a shot that you generally want your wingers taking. But one of the big things on this play here is that Aha has some wheels here. Yeah. Like he's a center back who falls behind the, the winger, who I think is Gerso over there, catches up, gets himself between Gerso and the ball so that Shelton can't cross it, has to yep. shoot it. Now, that kind of messes Miller up because Miller's committed to stopping that cross. Mm-hmm. But it's a huge play from Aha. And, and the other thing to look at here is that Chase Gasper's lack of speed is really exposed here because he, he gets into a foot race with Shelton and he loses it by about 10 yards. Yep. We, we know Gasper's not a speed demon on that left side, but I think you do need to see a little bit more speed there to be able to keep up or find an angle or close that down in some capacity because Shelton had all day to decide whether he wanted to, to cross it or shoot it or what he wanted to do with it there. Jacob, I want to go back to something you alluded to. Uh, you were talking about Greg Rogensing. Um, any any interview that I've seen, any tape from training I've seen, Adrian Heath seems to be very high on Greg Rogensing. Yeah. And he seems like a guy who, you know, who Heath would not be afraid to go to and pull the trigger and, and make a switch. Um, I don't know if he necessarily do it would do it in match unless it was, you know, two, three, four goals. Uh, but, I, you know, Tyler Miller doesn't have an extremely long leash here, at least from what it seems to me. No, so um, I don't have a full-on pronunciation on Gregory's last name. I'm assuming it's Ranjit Singh. Um, maybe that's wrong. If it is wrong, I apologize in advance. Same. Um, but from what, I, from what I understand is Tyler Miller is the loon's number one right now. Mm-hmm. However, a mistake like that can easily cost you a starting job if it happens more than once. Um, I'm going to make the relation just because I am a Chelsea fan. Look at Cape Arita Balaga this past February. He made some consistent mistakes in January that cost him his starting job for the entire month of February, including Champions League matches. And for Minnesota United, those Champions League matches are going to be this tournament. They are that important to the team. They count as regular groups, or regular season results. And to start the season 3-0 and um, and, and be top of the league right now, which, which we are technically in standings, is immense. But if you have a goalkeeper you cannot trust to consistently make saves, it wasn't just the error on the, on the goal. There was one moment in the first half where Miller went out to collect a cross, yep, and, he um, and he completely missed it. He didn't miss a single one after that. But you see an error like that happening, and, you know, if you're Adrian Heath, you're sitting there like, okay, well, we'll go to training this week and we'll have a conversation. If it happens again, I'm going to look at Greg. And you know what? Greg's been doing really well in training. Maybe we'll give Greg a shot against RSL next Friday. Maybe we'll give him a shot against Colorado next Wednesday. You know, there's opportunities here for every Minnesota United player to steal a position. Robin Lowe tonight looked absolutely abysmal. Raheem Edwards, what an incredible cameo he had in that second half. He completely changed the tempo of that attack, was an influential in both uh, extra extra time goals. 
if I'm Adrian Heath, I'm looking at starting Raheem Edwards over Robin Lode on the left wing and moving Kevin Molino central against Friday against RSL if I stick with the 4-2-3-1. So what I'm getting at here is no position is secure except for maybe some, maybe some of the fullbacks and, uh, and maybe uh, Gregor's, in all honesty, because Finley didn't look phenomenal tonight. Molino, you know, he, his position is firm. However, yeah. he's starting, but he's not going to be left wing or Cam. He'll be switching in between the game. You know, he and Lode switched the first half and the second half when they played. Mm-hmm. They were back and forth the entire game. So unless, you know, you're, you're a certified veteran on this team that has confirmed your spot, your, your spot is still up for grabs in this tournament. I think even before Molino's game winner, because you brought him up, so I kind of want to transition to him for a second. I, he has just been such a rock uh, mm-hmm. for, this, for this squad over the, first, over the first three matches here. I mean, he has been somebody who Adrian Heath, for a long time, has been able to trust and go to uh, when, when, they need a, when they need to pick me up. But I just thought Kevin Molino had another just overall solid performance tonight. I mean, he ends up with the game winner, but he was very influential in the, in the attack that led to the own goal and some of those, some of those chances after uh, the Loons got the man advantage as well. Um, so, you know, as far as man of the match goes, we'll go through this, we'll go through this later. Uh, but Kevin Molino was just, again, so solid, I think, tonight for, for the Loons. So here's a question for you, Jeremy. Um, you maybe maybe you were planning on alluding to this later in the show, but Minnesota United right now is linked to uh, attacking midfielder versatile player from Boca Juniors, Emmanuel Reynoso. Yeah. Reynoso can play both the left wing and attacking midfielder, same as Kevin Molino and Robin Lode. But it seems as though Heath is incredibly attached to Robin Lode. If you bring in Reynoso, do you, with the form that Molino is in starting the season and today, do you put him on the trade block following? MLS is back. I'm kind of putting you on the hot seat here, but I'm curious to hear what you say. I have a very, very hard time not picturing Kevin Molino in the starting lineup for Minnesota United. But trading, I mean, he's got value. He has serious value. You talk about to a team like DC United, to a team like Red Bulls, to a team that's right there on the cusp, who maybe just needs that one, that one depth piece or that one, uh, that, that one player that can get them over the hump. You know, that's, that's very intriguing in terms of what to do with Molino, if indeed these reports about Reynoso are true. As far as Reynoso, and until I see a report from here in Minnesota or until I see uh, a press release come out, I mean, we've been, we've been here so many times with Reynoso, I feel like, over the last six, seven, eight months. So uh, yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. But if they were to bring him on, I think everything Adrian Heath, when, he, when he's talking about him in the media, which he likes to do a lot, uh, it really seems like he would come on to be the number 10. For, for Minnesota United. Um, so where does that leave Kevin Molino? Do you put him in the left wing? Uh, do you put him in the right wing? Or do you trade him? Or do you put him on the bench as another kind of super sub situation? You know, the... What does this mean Chacon? Yeah, I mean, there's so much, so many variables here. Uh, it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a bad problem, you know, just to figure out what to do with these guys because bringing in somebody like Reynoso would, would obviously just, just give a huge, huge bump minnesota united and their ability to yep. uh, you know they're they they've led from the back for so long i think uh i think bringing in reynoso you know could be a, a big step towards just rounding out you know the whole the whole starting 11 for minnesota united but in terms of what they do with molino i think like you said jacob trading might be the best option uh because of the value that he well, i know eli has a, eli has a different opinion on reynoso eli why don't yeah. you uh, tell us about that yeah, I, I do question the 
the value of bringing a guy like that in, especially when the price tag is, is 4.5 or $5 million. You know, you, you look at who you have at the number 10 right now, you have Kevin Molino, who they, they spent a good amount on to, to acquire him a while ago. You have Chacon, who, who came with a $4 million price tag. It's a lot of value. They're already there at the number 10 position. And if you look at, you know, trading Molino, how much are you realistically going to net from him? I don't know. And is, you know, is it worth, is Reynoso going to be enough of an upgrade to really make it worth it? Again, I don't really know there. I think we still don't really know what Chacon can do just because we haven't seen him. And maybe that's for a reason, right? Maybe he's just not ready to be getting those first team minutes. But I, I really think the Reynoso signing looks unnecessary right now. If he was a true left winger, I think you could justify it a little bit more. But as far as a guy who would maybe play left wing, probably play the 10, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense in my mind to spend that kind of money when – I think there are other positions of, of need, one being left back, which, you know, there are rumors they're targeting there, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would much rather see this this money go towards, you know, maybe a lockdown left back or, you know, a lockdown left winger than a number 10. Or maybe even you put the money into somewhere like the academy that we know could use some money. Ah, there um, it is. There <laughs> it is. I was waiting for that I, I had to bring the tie in. Um, but I... I just, I, I question, you know, it's certainly a luxury signing and I have no doubt that he would be a fantastic player and score goals, produce goals. I just question whether it's, it's really an area of need. And, and who would have thought that we'd ever be in the position where we're saying, Minnesota United doesn't need to spend money right now. But, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've got a pretty good team piece together. I just, I just don't know if, if spending more right now is what they really need to do. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting uh, next week here to see if these reports are legitimate and, and we actually see uh, Emmanuel Reynoso come to uh, Minnesota United here. I mean, the transfer window doesn't start till mid-August, so it'd be a while before we actually see him you know, potentially come mm-hmm. over, depending on what travel restrictions are at that time and stuff like that. You know, uh, and, and if there is a season beyond MLS is back too, I mean, it could be next year before we see Reynoso in a Minnesota United uniform. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays itself out. Um, but I want to talk about, uh, Jacob, you had mentioned Raheem Edwards. Uh, you and I both extremely, extremely high on Raheem Edwards. Uh, yes, the sir. flexibility he brings, the energy that he brings off the bench, uh, that, showed, that showed in spades tonight for the Loons. Um, so it's kind of funny. My high school soccer coach texted me tonight. Um, we still keep in touch. You know, it's five years later, which I think is pretty cool. But he texted me about Raheem Edwards, and he goes, he was ridiculous, ridiculously good when he got in there. He actually pressed the outside backs and forced mistakes from Sporting mm-hmm. KC, which I think is, is precisely what I want to talk about right now. Raheem Edwards changed the way Minnesota United attacked going forward. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Robin Lode is a bad player. I don't want to say anybody is a bad player because everybody has potential. I know he was really good when he was in Sporting home, and I know he's really good for Finland, but – his time with Minnesota hasn't shown what he can be. Maybe it's not a good fit. Maybe it's the lineup. Maybe it's the fact that he just doesn't have the morale he needs. Right now, Robin Lode should not be starting for Minnesota United. This game tonight proved that. Raheem Edwards, his interject, like the fact that he interjected so much pace, mm-hmm. so much like uh, accuracy in terms of passing to in that final third. Yep. When you look at that that Kevin Molino goal, the 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 game winner, Raheem Edwards, he. Drew, he drew defenders with him. People are looking at him like, oh my gosh, how can I contain him? He was kind of like how I saw Ke- uh, Kinda um, for Sporting KC in that first half. Th- those last 20 minutes, phenomenal for Raheem Edwards. And the reason I'm really high on Raheem Edwards 
is because of the fact that he's so versatile. If we need a left back substitute, boom. If we need a left center mid substitute, boom. Left wing, boom. He's someone who reminds me of Ishmael Jome for Minnesota United in the NASL days in that first year in the MLS. Um, Jome never really um, proved to be an MLS caliber fo- footballer, but he was that versatile player that we could rely on to put in any position and kind of fill that role. And I think that's what Edwards is going to be for the Loons. Whether or not it's in a starting role, which I think it should be, I think he's going to be incredibly influential for the Loons this season. And I think tonight proves that. And I'm, I'm really happy to see the performance from him. And I'm looking forward to see what he brings the rest of MLS's back. You know, you talk about him potentially starting over Robin Lode. Uh, from what I know from Adrian Heath, he likes having guys that he can turn, you know, specific one, two, three guys he can turn to for a sub. Uh, so that would be the only thing that I think would keep him from inserting Edwards in the starting lineup because he likes those guys that he can rely on to bring in, in you know, 60, 70th minute to, to make an impact late in matches. That would be the only thing, though, that I think would hold Heath back from – should hold Heath back from, from inserting Edwards in the starting lineup. And we, like you said, we saw a completely different way in the entire – in which the, the – in the way the entire team played when Edwards was inserted onto the field. They were more aggressive. They were high-pressing, which they – in my opinion, they should have done for a vast majority of that match. They sat back so, so long and waited so long. And waited basically until they got a man advantage to actually start, start pressing. Um, but that's the kind of style that Edwards comes in and provides. And you could see it just kind of brought up the energy level in every other player on the field. Well, I think a lot of that and the difference between Edwards and Lloyd comes in that they're very different types of players and that Robin Lloyd is, he's not the type of winger who's going to pin a fullback back there necessarily. Right. He's the type of, of winger who I, you know, I think if we had him on football manager, he's going to, you're going to call him more of an inside forward. Right. You know, he's, He's, he's going to be better when he can cut in and take shots. And, and he had a great give-and-go, uh, I think it was with Hassani Dotson, where he, he passed the ball inside, ran inside himself, and then he ends up in sort of a number 10-type position. That's his natural fit there. You know, he's not an Ethan Finley who's going to necessarily be a, you know, speed down to the end line and cross it kind of guy. Lud needs, he needs a fullback who's going to overlap around him, who's going to be that crosser, which Chase Gasper isn't. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we see that left side of Minnesota United looking very different from the right side where you have two speedy guys who are going to be crossers versus two little bit slower guys who, who are going to be better suited to playing, you know, sideways passes and, and diagonals going in and out. It's a, it's a different thing. And once we saw Edwards come in, he's a lot more of the pin a fullback back type of guy. And I think that's the, the type of winger that suits Minnesota United better with the, the setup that they have, they need a guy who's going to bring that energy and in that constant directness down the wing. I almost think meeting in the middle might be the best uh, thing to do with Edwards, where maybe you don't wait till the 70, 75th minute to bring him on, but maybe you don't start him either. Maybe he's a halftime sub. Maybe he's a 55th minute sub. You know, just somebody you bring in earlier so he can make that impact for a longer portion of the game. If Adrian Heath decides to go the route of not starting him and bringing him in off the bench, that's just uh, kind of thinking out loud. I don't know if you saw my, my halftime thread on Twitter, Jeremy, but I did a halftime breakdown of what needed to change for Minnesota United in the second half. I uh, had a short conversation with Wes Burdine, formerly five, a 55-1 writer, and Colin O'Donnell, a former E. Pluribus Lunar writer. 
And I was mentioning how Hassani Dotson looked incredibly uncomfortable in the first half. It was an unnatural position for him because there was a lot of there were a lot of expectations on him. Filling the shoes of someone like Ozzy in a, in the first match in four months. That's tough, especially for a kid of his age. There was a lot on him tonight. You know what? He was a little overwhelmed. But there was a way to solve that in the second half, and Adrian Heath didn't do it, I think at least. I look at the second half and I say, take off Robin Lode at halftime or Ethan Finley if you want to move Lode out right. Lode or Finley, one of the two didn't have a good first half. Neither of them did. You could take off one of them. And you bring on an extra central midfielder and you move to a 4-3-3. That central midfielder could be Ja'Cory Hayes, could be James Musa, or um, even Chacon as an eight if you wanted to try. I don't know if he can play an eight, but you bring on an eight to go along with Grey Goose and Dotson. The reason being... Because if you sit Grey Goose a little deeper than Dotson, you pair somebody with Grey Goose and let Dotson free roam as an eight, that's when you see his best football. That's when you see his best, the, the best of Hassani Dotson. He can be so creative. Um, you, look at, you look at the 2019 season and there was the, uh, the slogan, Dotson only scores bangers. You know, people loved it. Bangers but only. That, yeah, bangers only. He only scored in that position when he was in that free roaming eight role for the most part. And you look at Dotson's performance tonight and he just – he looked like he was stuffed inside a paper bag and he couldn't find his way out. Like he didn't have any ability to free roam or kind of do his thing as this unnatural, aggressive, yet talented number eight. I don't know how to explain this Ali Dotson, but when he's at his best, he's, he's magical. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's so talented and I cannot wait to see what happens when we have a full-strength Minnesota United team that features Hassani Dotson in a starting lineup in his best position. Because if we would have put another, another midfielder on, I think Dotson would have flourished in that attacking third. We would have seen some sooner goals and extra, extra time, added time at the end. I think Dotson is somebody who, who was, was individually, specifically impacted by the absence of Michael Parra. Um, if you think about it, ev- pretty much every minute, maybe not every minute, but I'd say 90, 95% of the minutes Asani Dotson has played in MLS, he's had that safety net behind him with Michael Parra. And with, with, with that not being there, he may have thought that he needed to play a bigger role in terms of covering more ground and making up for the loss of Opara. Uh, but yeah. you're right. He did look a little bit lost in terms of uh, what he was trying to do and where he was supposed to be on the field. Um, yeah, I think – Early on, yeah, sorry. I think early on, there were a couple moments of rust from Dotson, too. Mm-hmm. He had a couple sloppy touches, was missing a couple passes. And, you know, that's part of the, the four-month layoff. But, too, that's that's him being in, in a role that he's probably not 100% comfortable in, having to do things that he's maybe not 100%, 100% comfortable with having his responsibilities. And so, you know, if, if the Ozzy Alonso injury is a long-term situation, which I don't think it is, I think him being more comfortable in that role is something that we'll see over time too, just as part of his development, if he can turn into more of a conventional six or if he just stays as that kind of free roaming eight that that we see from him right now. Just kind of rounding everything out as far as this match goes, Minnesota United has kind of continued that portion of their identity from last year where no matter – how they play in the first 75, 80 minutes, no matter how they look, when it comes down to, to the final minutes, when it comes down to stoppage time, they give themselves a chance. And yeah. I think th- that's something that we didn't see, obviously, in the first two years of Minnesota United. You wouldn't really expect to see that from the first two years of any expansion squad. But that is just one of those, one of those winning formulas that these championship teams seem to have. 
And Minnesota United, I think, is, is a, is a, has become a prime example of that. I think having that fighting attitude towards the end is important. But I don't think that fighting attitude arrived until the Malia red card, which is incredibly unfortunate because it's all too common for Minnesota United FC 2017, 18, 19. No matter what year you look at, there's going to be matches where Minnesota United doesn't show up to the 60th, 70th minute. And you know what? Those matches, they're down 2-0 at that point, And they lose 2-1 because they didn't, they didn't show up until 20 minutes left and they couldn't find the equalizer or a winner. But they found a goal. But a goal is sometimes not enough. The fact that they found a second in 90 plus seven is incredibly lucky. Mm-hmm. And like Eli said at the beginning of, of your show tonight, um, uh, sometimes you're better, it's better to be lucky in that situation. You know what? We got lucky tonight, and we should own that. We should own the fact that, you know what? Maybe we didn't deserve three points in this game, and maybe Peter Vermes outplayed us as a coach. He outcoached Adrian Heath, I think. I, I definitely think so. And I yeah. think you take that into consideration, and, you know, Right now, it's, it's halftime, and RSL is up 1-0 over Colorado. I'm watching the game as we're recording this. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, RSL is not going to be an easy team to play. Colorado, who I thought would be dominating them, is struggling immensely at getting any sort of possession. There's an utter ball domination, similar to Sporting Kansas City against Minnesota United in the first half, by RSL in this game. So I'm looking at this. I'm looking ahead to next week. There's got to be changes made, whether it's formation, whether it's player personnel, whether it's the conversation you have in the locker room at halftime, you've got to do something different because tonight was not good enough from mm-hmm. anybody. I think the only player I really thought appealed to me throughout the entire game was Jan Gregus and then Kevin Molino in the second half. I think Jan Gregus, I mean, there's, there's certain things that you expect Jan Gregus to do in every match or that he's, yep. he's let, you know, he's, he's brought us to come to expect these things. And he's so consistent. You're going to get a rocket that either goes in the back of the net or goes off the post or gets tipped over the, over the crossbar. You're going to get a yellow card. You're going to get absolutely sublime service into the box, time in, time out, whether it's on a corner or a free kick. Like he pretty much checked every Jan Gregus box short of scoring a goal tonight. Um, talk about just talk about like consistency, as I mentioned with Molino. Jan Gregus is a guy that brings that consistency, uh, match in and match out too. 100%. 100%. Well, I, I think you know, talking about the differences between this year's Minnesota United versus other ones, I think there's there's a couple things. The one is something that Gregus is a testament to Minnesota United is now good at set pieces, and it, it's weird to say that, but they're getting legitimate opportunities off of them, you know, and, and defensively, they look solid, but. You know, it's no longer a situation where every time they get a corner or a free kick where you just think, you know, where as a journalist, you, you switch to your Twitter feed and start scrolling there because, you know, nothing's going to happen in the next 30 seconds. Like now there, there's a legitimate thing there. And, and part of that is the whole, you know, being lucky and being good. You are more likely to be lucky when you're getting the ball into the box, things like yeah. that. Like by, by making the other team make plays, those, those lucky scenarios, those fluky things are going to happen. And that's what we saw tonight, right? getting good service into the box, good things happen when, when you're, you're putting the ball in a good spot. Is it going to happen every time? No, it might only be 3% of the time. One of those 3% was tonight. And also this year, we're seeing Minnesota United play with a tactical identity at some times, which is something that we hadn't seen in year, years past. There were tactical things that they did, but I, I would struggle, and I think just about anybody would struggle to say, what was Minnesota United's 2019 tactical identity? or even more difficult, 2018 or 2017. This year we can say, you know, they're doing better when they can get the ball moving, when they can have, you know, when they're playing in transition, when they're able to play direct down, especially that right flank. 
getting the ball, moving it in and out between fullbacks and midfielders and wingers and attacking midfielders. That's when Minnesota United is at their best. And we didn't see that until so late in the game tonight. Mm -hmm. We saw a bunkering Minnesota United that wasn't really bunkering because they weren't putting pressure on it. It was a just defend for the sake of defending Minnesota United. And that, to me, was awfully reminiscent of 2017 and 2018 when Mm -hmm. things were rather bleak, to say the least. So once Minnesota United gets on the front foot, once they start putting that pressure on playing the soccer that, that they're the best at playing, that's when we see the 2020 Minnesota United that is sitting atop the supporter shield right now, all alone on nine points. And, and that's, that's <laughs> an crazy, awfully nice thing crazy to, to be about. seeing. Yeah. I think uh, hopefully if they can get Luis Maria back, you know, he's somebody that is so good on the receiving end of those set pieces too. I mean, the Greg Oosh Amaria connection you know, over the first two matches was, was very, very apparent as something that could be a huge factor for Minnesota United this season. So depending on how, how serious that injury is, again, he came up limping warmups more often than not. It's just a one match thing, but you never know with the current, with the current climate and these guys not being fit and fully, you know, it, it we don't know yet what the status of Amaria is going to be for Friday night against Real Salt Lake, but if he does see the pitch, uh, I think you'll only see that, that, that set piece game from Minnesota United improve from where we saw it tonight. I think and one of the only, things, oh, go ahead. Ian, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'm a real, his strength isn't <laughs> Minnesota nice happening on the podcast. Um, it's not just I'm a Ria on set pieces. He's such an intelligent striker in the runs that he makes, especially some of those back post runs where he'll just, he'll lurk at, at the back shoulder of the center back as they're making their way down the field. And he'll just, uh, you, you can't see me on, on camera, but he'll slowly increase the distance between him and the center back until he's five yards behind the center back. And that's mm-hmm. plenty of space to receive a cross and, and get yep. a clean shot off. Like that's a type of run that's so hard to mark for a center back. And that's what Luis Amaria can do over and over and over again. It just seems to love to do. And it's part of the reason why, again, Minnesota United is not only a good set piece team, they're a good crossing team this year. They're one of the best teams in MLS mm-hmm. off the cross which again feels crazy to say because we all remember those there were several games every season where we look at it and the, the game seemed to just consist of one from the right one from the left and, yeah. and none of them finding a target or creating any quality chance but it, it's that's one of the differences of this team that I think Amaria has brought and we didn't see it as early on tonight with with Mason Toy you know he, he was sort of invisible I think that was more just a result of the defensive focus that whatever striker was in there wasn't really going to be doing that much but once this team gets out playing on those wings, sending the ball into the box, they look a lot, lot better. And and Amari is a part of that. So I'm, I, I have no reason to think this is a serious injury. It sounds like an abductor strain. You know, hopefully he's he's back on Friday if starting or if nothing else coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Andy Grader of the Pioneer Press tweeted out that uh, Luis Amari tweaked an abductor at the end of pregame warmups before being scratched. And then there's a, there's a quote from Adrian Heath. I can read it aloud if you guys want. Yeah. Um, we'll have a better idea in 24 hours when he's slept on it to see if it's going to be a few days or a few weeks. Yeah. Um, Keith said, I honestly can't answer about Luis long term. So you look at that and you say, Schoenfeld looked good tonight. Yeah, but as uh, Jeremy mentioned earlier in the show regarding my Raheem Edwards conversation, is he somebody you'd rather have off the bench in that influential role that Edwards and Schoenfeld had tonight? Because one giving Toy one game doesn't show you have faith in him, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. However, this is a tournament, so it is entirely up to Adrian Heath to decide what he wants to do. However, if I'm Adrian Heath, I am rolling out next Friday in a 4-3-3 with Mason Toy up top. The reason being a 4-3-3 
is because I feel like Toy is somebody who, uh, he reminds, I keep relating stuff to Chelsea. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm an addict, guys. I'm Here an addict. I, uh, I, see, I see Mason Toy as a similar player to Tammy Abraham, who can, he, Tammy Abraham's only put up like 14 goals this season. He's had a few injuries, but I think Toy is, you know, he's a 10, he's a 10, 12 goal striker. He's not going to be the starter. I don't think because we j- Chelsea just uh, bought Timo Werner. He's going to be their starter. They paid $60 million for him. Obviously, he'll start. But you'll still see Tammy Abraham get those 10, 12 goals. And you know what? He's a tall striker. He's lanky. He can run on the ball. Same with Toy. Toy is somebody who has immense amounts of pace and can get on that ball. He can make that through ball run. If Finley can get a ball and slot it through the middle in a, in a low, low, low pass and Toy can run onto it, Toy's got all day to, yep. to find the back of the night because he will beat that defender. And, you know, I think it's the service that we need for Mason Toy for him to be successful. You look at those U.S. Open Cup games last season, maybe they weren't as good, um, a good of opposition because a lot of them were USL teams. However, you look at the goals he scored, a lot of them were those through balls that you get from an attacking midfielder or a winger, and that's where he's successful. And you, if you don't have enough midfielders to support his runs, you, you, you can't score. You don't score if you're Mason Toy. Because tonight showed in that 4-2-3-1, four, uh, he's not made for the system. Uh, Schoenfeld is made for the 4-2-3-1. If you're going to play the 4-2-3-1, you start Schoenfeld. But if you want to start Mason Toy, I don't think you can continue with the 4-2-3-1. 4-3-3, or as Jeremy and Eli both want to see, three at the back, whether it's a 3-5-2 a, a three, three, or a 5-3-2, whether or not you call wingbacks defenders or not, it's it's up in the air. It's up to soccer yep. personnel. It's your choice. I think I think that's an intriguing option, but I don't know if Heath would do it. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at the four three three with Mason Toy up top, or the four two three one with Aaron Schoenfeld, because Schoenfeld showed bright tonight. One thing I want to highlight about him though um, is there was an off balance shot that hit the crossbar tonight from Schoenfeld. That was absolutely gorgeous. He he got the ball. He turned and he's off balance. He doesn't have a great shot. But it reminded me um, – here I'm relating to Chelsea again. Good grief, man. Of an, of, an Giroud, of an Olivier Giroud type shot. You know, slow, tall, on the edge of the box. He's not going to have the pace to get close to the goalkeeper, so he's just going to hit it from the edge of the box. Post, top corner. That's, just, that, that, that's what we saw from Schoenfeld. If we can see more of that hold-up play, it's almost like a Christian Ramirez type play, the hold-up, not fast enough to get to the goalkeeper, tall. I think Schoenfeld is that 4-2-3-1 guy. Yep. And if you're going to continue with it, you start him. I, I love Mason Toy, but if you're not going to commit to the 4-3-3 with an extra midfielder, support him, you've got to start Schoenfeld in that role if Amaria is not healthy. Yeah, I well, think I also also depends on Toy's health too, right? I mean, yeah, we, we that's true. That's the, true. The, the side issue, the potential. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the ribs or the side. I don't want to speculate. I haven't seen an actual diagnosis yet on what that is, but uh, we'll we'll see what his status is. But hopefully, Minnesota United has more than one striker available on Friday. That's kind of I think if you're a Loons fan, that's really all you can hope for at this point. False nine, Kevin Molino at center forward. That's that's your second best guess, mm-hmm. honestly. All right, who's your man to match tonight? Eli, go ahead. Well, I'm I'm debating between a couple, and I think I'll go with Jan Grigus. I know Jacob called that on our post-game show, but I'm going to steal him here just because what he was able to do with the set-piece service was so crucial to Minnesota United winning specifically this game. Mm-hmm. You know, I 
I think Grey Goose, he didn't have you, – you could have maybe wanted to see more from him in over the course of open play over the first 90 minutes. But putting the ball in the box with consistency like that, and under that pressure too, like I, you don't want to underestimate what it must be like to step up to a ball there in, in stoppage time with your team down and goal or even level on one and know that you got to put it in the exact right spot to, mm-hmm. to try to get a goal here. That's that's no small thing. And again, I'll, I'll champion the take once more. Menace United is good at set pieces now. Yep. And that's that's young Gregus right there. So not only the, the man of the match here, but just because of what set pieces we're able to do in this game. So he, he's my pick, but there are other shouts to be had for other players. I'll just, I'll settle on him for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. I think I already mentioned it previously in your podcast, Jeremy, but I'm, I stand for young Gregus. I think it was a phenomenal yep. performance tonight. But honorary shout-out to Raheem Edwards for his cameo in the second half. Um, definitely changed the way the Loons played, and I think, uh, I think he's shown really brightly. Um, I'd love to see what – because we brought on Raheem Edwards on the left. I'd like to see Marlon Harrison on the right, maybe see what he could do, because um, Finley got pretty tired towards the end, too. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you give him a shot. I know Harrison is an MLS vet. Um, honestly, why not at that point you've got – Three more subs if you're Adrian Heath. You didn't use them. You've got five of them. Why only, you, you have three usually. You didn't even use all three. And honestly, your players looked exhausted at the end. So, frankly, that's a bit confusing. But I think Jan Gregus had a phenomenal match. Consistency, like you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, is what you see from Gregus every time he plays. Tonight was just a little bit more that the loons needed. I would go Gregus as well, uh, with Edwards being a close second. I do want to give a, a, a shout-out to Roman Mentaner, though. In terms of uh, at the back, he was one of the, the lone bright spots at the back from Minnesota United. A couple crucial challenges, setting in the cross that led to the game winner. Um, talk, talk about solid. I mean, Roman Roman's just one of those solid guys who we, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, Jacob. He flies so far under the radar because he just – he goes in, he does his business, and he's not – super vocal about it he's not demonstrative on the field he's quiet but he does his thing and it's obviously a huge impact for the loons with uh and obviously they're seeing it too with uh, with the contract extension they just signed to well let's be honest have you ever heard of a legacy footballer that has made headlines like honestly like mm-hmm. can you can you think of one in europe in mexico in south america eat the north america can you think of one legacy footballer besides roman metanera name his name <laughs> exactly you look he's it's it's an it's a country that's never performed well in national tournaments they had their first their first ever um quarterfinal run in the uh, africa cup of nations this past year uh metanair played a uh or the 2019 sorry not 2020 um played a role in that and frankly he is an incredibly underrated right back when he got selected to the mls all-star game in 2019 they were analysts like Wait a sec, who's this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. R- Rom- Romain yeah. met him. The what? attempts at the pronunciations were oh, pretty entertaining. Fantastic. But I think John Champion was it, it, oh no, it was uh, Taylor Twalman who said it tonight. Um they meant they were talking about Metnair on the cast on the call, and it was like uh it was something along the lines of what an incredibly under the radar right back he is for Minnesota yep. United. He's been so solid. And when he first entered the league, we knew, ab- we knew absolutely nothing about him. And, like, those are words from Twelman. That's not just me talking. I knew nothing about him either. But the fact that you see someone of Twelman's caliber, um, a reporter, uh, an analyst, a commentator, talking about how good he is and how under the radar he is, fantastic signing for Minnesota United. Mm-hmm. 
I think one of the most impressive things to me, and this may just be a personal thing, but his ability to when he challenges, a lot of times you see him gather the ball. He doesn't just challenge and, and the ball goes elsewhere and potentially deflection leads to a goal. Like he gathers the ball himself on especially those sliding challenges and is able to clear it himself. The ability to just that, that ball control when he's also winning the ball is very, very impressive to me in terms of how he, how he operates. So, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to give him a shout out. All right. So three points, whether they're deserved or not, you know, is up for interpretation to say the least, but it's three points. You're at the top of the table right now. Uh, it's where you want to be with two matches to go. How do we see the rest of this group stage playing out for Minnesota United? Well, I think this was the most difficult game. And I said going into this game that this was the best matchup of any group in the group stage because we had two teams coming in with two wins from back in March. You know, I think probably 13 or 14 combined goals scored in that period. And I think – it lived up to, to the billing as a great game with that fun ending there. But this was going to be the most difficult one for Minnesota United, right? Kansas City was just going to be that team. That's not to say that RSL or Colorado are going to be much easier, but they'll be a little bit easier. So, you know, now with, with three points over Kansas City, you're certainly looking at the knockouts as the bare minimum here just because you're on three points. Again, that's not to say they can let off the gas, but you're you're breathing a little bit easier. Maybe even come out of this as the top team in the group, especially if, you know, whatever result we see out of RSL and Colorado happening right now, that will kind of be the team to beat. You know, RSL is looking a little bit better here. So, you know, Friday becomes the next game of pretty great importance in terms of advancing out of Group D. So I think you look at the rest of the group and you say, Minnesota United has the ability to win out the group. Based on tonight's performance, I think Sporting Kansas City was your toughest opponent in the group. However, injuries pile up. Things happen. Form, you, lo you lose form. Maybe you don't show up for a game. Anything can happen. I think best, best comes to suit, we, we win one more and we draw one. I don't think we lose a match in the group stage now. I think SKC was the one match we could afford to lose, but we didn't. So... I think Colorado's our draw, and I think RSL is our win. Um, I predicted in, the in our first uh, – Eli and I's first uh, Twitter live show last Wednesday for the MLS's back debut, I predicted Minnesota United would beat RSL 6-1, to one, and, I, and I genuinely meant that. Um, and the reason I said that is because I don't think RSL is that good of a team. I think that they – have overwhelmed the Colorado Rapids in the first half, like I was previously talking about. It was 1-0 at the half. Second half is just now kicking off. I think that Minnesota United has the ability to run RSL to the ground on the counter because of the fact that we have pace, because of the fact that we have a striker in Luis Amaria, if he's healthy, to, that, that, that can perform at a high level. And you have someone like Mason Toy who can come off the bench and then Schoenfeld, Sean Bright tonight. I think Minnesota United has the ability to come top of the group but you've got you've to understand that injuries happen. You've got to understand that these predictions were made before that, before Ozzy, before Luis, before Mason. Mm -hmm. So now I'm looking at it, I'm kind of saying, you draw Colorado, you maybe scrape by a 1-0 win in RSL if you're lucky. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm looking at, it might even be, like, depending other group results, it could be better for Minnesota United to take second in the group than first, depending who you'd face, you know? Obviously, we haven't seen all the groups play. We don't know who's gonna, who they're going to play at all. Mm -hmm. But 
when it comes to next Wednesday or the Wednesday, I think it's the 24th. Don't quote me on that. Wednesday, the Wednesday they play Colorado, you know, sometimes you see a tactical, a tactical change by a coach and say, you know what, you guys have a choice before and you can play LAFC or the LA Galaxy. For example, if we're Minnesota United, you'd probably rather play the Galaxy because they're not as good as LFC. And, you know, you take first, you play LFC. You take second, you play the Galaxy. Is it a tactical switch? You know, you see that kind of thing in sports. And anything can happen in the MLS's back tournament because of the fact that it is MLS, you know. Yep. Tonight was the most MLS ending ever, yep. you know. So I look at it and I say, Loons have all the opportunities in the world right now. They're on top of MLS in, in standings, in goals scored, in points, you know, like, you've got it all in your hands you can't let it go to waste take advantage of the situation and strive for greatness strive for excellence excellence obviously there wasn't you know aside from the performances of edwards and gray goosh and a couple others there really wasn't much to actually take away in terms of what we can expect from minnesota united moving <laughs> forward in the group stage that's why i think friday is going to be the real measuring stick you know where is this team actually in terms of where you know how they how they compare to the RSLs to the Colorado Rapids, who a lot of people nationally are very high on. These are two teams that, that nationally, you know, RSL is at the top of the group because they were the best non uh, non conference final team in the Western Conference last year. Uh, everybody's very very high on Colorado to move and advance very very far in this tournament. So uh, Friday, if you're Minnesota United and you're a Minnesota United fan, that's the game I look forward to see. Like, okay, this is really going to tell us where this team is and and how far they can potentially advance in this tournament. That's and the true. key to Friday is, is also going to be you're, you're not going to get two stoppage time fluky goals on Friday. I, that, you know that is a guarantee. And so if you're Minnesota United, you have to come out and, and actually play on Friday. You have to be the better team probably to beat RSL. And so that will just be interesting to see what sort of changes we see from, from Heath in terms of the lineup or just in the philosophy of is Minnesota United more willing to come out and and run with RSL to, to put a little pressure on them instead of sitting back for 65, 70 minutes. Um, and, and like you said, Jeremy, you know, Friday will be the, the real measuring stick for who this team is and, and to what extent they can actually hang with some of the best in MLS. I guess, I guess the way to end this off would be just to kind of ask, where do you guys think we, we sit with MLS's back as a whole? I mean, we had a, we had a postponement today with a false positive for uh, Toronto FC and then an inconclusive from DC United. The testing process seems to be a little bit unreliable, which has caused, you know, I believe we've only had three, maybe now four of the group stage, maybe now five with RSL in Colorado of the group stage matches actually kick off on time. Now, not all that is COVID related. We had weather related issues last night or um, Saturday night, I should say, but, but where does this tournament stand now? I mean, how confident are you guys that this actually sees the finish line? So I'm going to step in first here, Eli. Um, Go I've got it. a lot. I've got a lot to say about it. Um, I think Paul Tenorio of the Athletic did it best this morning. He uh, did an article and an interview with Dr. Celine Grounder, um, and I think the way she put it was, it's it's an incredible waste of resources when you look. Um, me, for example, I if I wanted to go get a COVID-19 test today, son. Um, Sunday night, yeah, Sunday night, right after Loons versus SKC, I needed to go get one. Let's say my results would come back three to six days roughly, okay? MLS players are getting their receiver back in less than 12 hours. The public who are not in a bubble, they're not in a safe bubble, especially those in Florida who are averaging more than 10,000 COVID cases per day, mm -hmm. which is 
baffling. It's absolutely incredible to think that there's not been some sort of mandate to shut down attractions of sorts. Yeah, Disney World's open, which is just insane Uh, to think about. It's it's insane. It's my grandparents live in Florida, and um, my grandma was complaining that she can't go to happy hour anymore because they closed the they closed they shut down alcohol at the bars. And I'm like, are are you kidding? You're you're 75 years old. You are one of the most at risk individuals for this. And it's, it's baffling because people in Florida are, they don't, they don't, they're going to the beaches, they're going to Disney World, they're going to the bars, they're going to the shops, the malls. And you look at Minnesota where all three of us live and we are one of the, we, we one of the states that's following protocol the best in the USA right now. Mm-hmm. And even then I'm seeing people left and right that are not wearing masks. You know, they're not following COVID-19 guidelines and it's it's frustrating because more than anything we all need to be safe right now we've all been through one like a heck of a lot over the past few months uh i was studying abroad this past spring and i got three days notice to evacuate the country of ireland and get to the usa before borders shut that was it was it was crazy Mm -hmm. and that was back in march and now fast forward to july and we have live sports we have live sports with fans, courtesy of the USL. That, and those fans. I get so that. uncomfortable when I look at that. I mean, oh. was it was it Sacramento yesterday? I don't want to say it was Sacramento. It was somewhere where no masks were even being worn, and it Push was back. just, it Colorado. was just absolutely. I I don't understand it. There's so much going on right now that's frustrating for me, especially given the MLS bubble. Because not only do I love MLS, I love seeing soccer back, but I think that these players, these staff members, these, um, these cooks, these hotel staff, every essential personnel that's there, they're putting their lives at risk for the sake of our entertainment. And I feel incredibly greedy and selfish for that. And you know, that's my opinion. If you're listening to, to the podcast, you don't have to agree with that. That's simply my take on it because these, they're, they're people first. They're not, they're not athletes first. They're not um, coaches first. And it's, you look at it and you say, you know, I want you all to be safe. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. Nashville had to leave the tournament. FC Dallas had to leave the tournament. It's, it's scary. Um, you've got to wonder if this is the new normal. And if it is, then you've got to live with it. And you've got to abide by the guidelines. But there's so many people that refuse to do so. It's scary. It's frustrating. And at, at this point, I just want to see players be healthy. I just want to see people be safe. Christian Ramirez of the Houston Dynamo left the bubble today, left the Houston Dynamo for the tournament um, to see the birth of his second child with his yep. wife. And she gave birth today. Congratulations, Christian, first off. Yep, um, absolutely. He's an old friend from Minnesota. Um, and, you know, you see people staying home. There's athletes that stayed home from the bubble too. Um, Vancouver had three people stay back, two due to, two to, the, due to personal reasons. Uh, Robbie Robinson of my, uh, Inter Miami stayed back due to personal reasons. You know, these haven't been revealed if they're COVID related or not, but you've got to wonder, are there players in MLS that are like, I don't think I should be here, but I'm getting paid, but I want to play soccer, but COVID, you know, there's, yeah. it's, it's weird. It's a really weird time. And frankly, I just want to see people be healthy. I want to see people be safe and I'd like to get back to normal. But if there never is a, a normal again, if this is a persistent virus that doesn't leave for quite a while, we've got to get used to it. We've got to start following the guidelines given up, given to us by our government. So 
I'll leave it at that. That was kind of a little bit of a long rant. I'm sorry, Jeremy. That's all right. No, uh, I mean, that, that's exactly, I mean, I, I echo pretty much everything you said there. I think we see now, and, and Eli can attest to this was with college football now, the Big Ten has announced they're playing a conference-only schedule. The Pac-12 is likely to follow suit. I don't yep. know what the SEC and the ACC, Eli, have you heard anything on the SEC in that regard? Just kind of veer away from this a second. I, I know the this will be coming out Monday morning, so I know the, the SEC is set to meet today, Monday. Um, I believe it was uh, an already scheduled meeting of athletic directors that said it will no doubt be a topic of discussion over what they want to do. Um, you know, certainly the, the Big Ten and Pac-12 setting that precedent, you know, puts some, some pressure and some strain on, on the other Power Five conferences. Um, but I, I think the, the bottom line with the return of sports here is that it's going to be uncomfortable in a lot of different regards for a lot of different people. You know, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable for us as fans to largely be stuck watching them, you know, from, from home on, on TVs with, you know, fake crowd noise or maybe no crowd noise. That's not a debate I'll get into. Um, or, you know, watching them in stadiums, perhaps feeling uncomfortable in something of a crowd or feeling uncomfortable wearing a mask. Like, it's going to be, you know, not, not viewing sports the way we'd like. But at the same time, if we're asking these athletes to come back, we're asking them to make uncomfortable decisions between, you know, do I prioritize my job and my team and, and these fans who support me? Or do I prioritize my own well-being, the well-being of my family? I, you know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to have been someone like Christian Ramirez to have to make the decision of, you know, going to the bubble or staying with my very pregnant wife. That's, that's an uncomfortable decision to have to make. And credit to him for, for then taking the time to, to leave and be with his family. Mm. And it's going to be uncomfortable to the players who are, are in the bubble because situations like what happened on Sunday morning with Toronto and D.C., it's difficult because everything really went right there. There was the testing right before the game. A couple tests, you know, one test came back inconclusive, the other came back positive, and the, the game was postponed. It's un, it's an uncomfortable situation, but it, there was a quote from someone in MLS saying that's the system working, and it's awkward. It, is the system great? No, but it is the system working that they were able to catch that. I think the amount of false positives that we're seeing, well, it's no doubt better to see false positives than false negatives. That creates a little bit more concern just yeah. because we know that every time there's a positive test, it's going to come out and be reported. And, and that's how it should be. But then, you know, that's how you get the, the concern with false positives. But it's it's not going to be a perfect return to sports, especially when you're working somewhere like Orlando, Florida with, you know, a, quite the wave of the pandemic going on but it's just it's going to be uncomfortable for everyone if if we want to see pro sports come back in some capacity and whether or not the sacrifice we're asking of athletes is is right or good or proper I'm not really the one to say it's just it's it's a lot of personal opinion and and a lot of being uncomfy with things and Eli mentioned about the one one quick thing Eli mentioned about the SEC um Quick note for local for local, uh, the Mayak plans to continue fall sports this fall. Um, however, I know Carlton has decided to cancel fall sports, and it's rumored that there are a few Mayak schools that are considering or talking about the possibility due to campus safety and um, and uh, student safety. I know that the University of St. Thomas is planning on continuing fall sports this fall. That's where I attend. I'll be a senior this fall. Um, that's just in local Mayak D3. Minnesota. Um, I just wanted to chime that in because there probably are a few listeners who yeah. are either Mayak alum or have Definitely. family that are Mayak schools. 
Um, but with, with the Big Ten making that decision, I'm guessing it is incredibly influential on the choices of the MIAC because overall the MIAC commissioner has the choice or the council, there's a council among all the presidents that can make that choice to cancel the MIAC uh, for this fall, cancel out of, uh, out of conference matches for any sport. So that's something to keep an eye on. And um, frankly, for local stuff, uh, it's, it's a scary thought, but anything can happen at this point. So stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, wear a mask. Does Don Garber pull the plug on the MLS's back tournament? And if so, when do you think that is? I'll let you have that one, Eli. <laughs> you know, I no insider information whatsoever, obviously. I think it, it takes a lot because MLS has a lot to gain by being, you know, the, the only professional, mainstream professional sport on ESPN right now every single one of these nights. Like, that is a lot of exposure for a league that can use a lot of exposure. So, again, I think it takes a lot. Um, I, I don't know if there's a magic number of other teams that, that would have to drop out, something like that. A lot of what I think at this point it would be would be people realizing that here we have MLS players and teams getting test turnarounds in 12 or 24 hours when the general public is having to wait a week in somewhere like Florida. I, I think at this point that's more likely to shut it down than X number of cases in the bubble or X number of teams dropping it out. Again, I have no idea what that threshold would be it's going to de depend on on what level of the general public and what level of the soccer watching public it kind of turns on the league and says you know this is a bad idea but also this is a really bad idea that shouldn't be happening mm -hmm. and i i don't think there's enough of a, a vocal support for ending it right now there very well could be in the future but again it will it'll be interesting to see if that line is drawn where it is drawn all right, Jacob Schneider, Eli Hoff, late night here on 10,000 Pitches, special post-game edition for Minnesota United, and their 2-1 MLS's back opening win over Sporting Kansas City. Again, they play again Friday night against RSL. You guys will be back on the Twitter with the pregame and postgame show before, that, before and after, right? Yep, and we have, a special guest. we have a special guest that'll be joining us for that show um, to be named later this week once we figure out a little more details, but you won't want to miss it. An exclusive uh, look at some more details from MLS's back tournament. All right, perfect. And that's at E Pluribus Lunum on Twitter. Jacob Schneider's at underscore Jacob Schneider. Uh, Eli Hoff is at by Eli Hoff. Guys, thank you guys so much for the time tonight. I appreciate you staying up late and breaking down the, uh, breaking down the win. And uh, we'll talk again on Friday. For sure. Thanks again, Jeremy. We'll see you, Jeremy.